Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on Buckets, Boards, Blocks, and Baylor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Baylor Bears. They are in a state. Oh, making history. Actually, I already made history. But Gonzaga hopes to run the table and win it all. Our guest today is a legendary player and broadcaster. He's one of the goats in the industry. You've probably seen him definitely this past few weeks. And he's standing by. But first, Darlene, run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former 3-and-D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. All right, since King already took five minutes on our tease, uh, let's get this party started. This is episode 100 of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. From our first show a little over two years ago, we've tried to cover all the ballers in the game because hoops are hoops. Women's men's, college, professional, amateur conversations, whatever. We've had a blast. And King, it's been a great run adding you to the mix. It has been fun. Thank you for inviting me, my friend. I appreciate you. I don't know. Did I invite you or did you just kind of bulldoze that's what we're not gonna do don't don't do that don't don't play don't play me like i just called you trying to beg on your phone like hey please add me please add okay okay (laughs) to be fair to be fair king's edition was actually our illustrious producer bruce's idea and bruce i know it's show 100 and we've got to get to our amazing guest but we got to get you in show 100 yes sir it's so exciting i've been looking forward to this show for a long time and thanks to you guys and king you booked an amazing guest for show number 100. I cannot wait. March Madness is the theme, baby. Here we go. Man, I'm excited to have this guest on the show today. Been a mentor to me. You hear his voice in 2K. In the actual video game 2K, you hear his voice. You've probably seen him all tournament long on CBS and I even saw him dancing. We have to get into this. <laughs> Welcome, Clark Kellogg. How you doing, man? I am terrific, King. Great to jump on with you and Monica. Um, looking forward to the stretch run here. It's been a crazy, crazy couple of weeks uh, on the men's side of the tournament. But the women, too, I've peeked in a little bit. But the men has been, the tournament's just been crazy. Actually, it's um, pretty appropriate considering that we're in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic and having the chaos that we've had in our lives and then to look on the court and see similar chaos unfold <laughs> as we um, get ready for the final four. Like I, I, I gotta ask, 
yeah. in the intro. Whose idea was it for you guys to be dancing with those little character people? Yeah, the team mojis, man. The team mojis. <laughs> I love those little guys. From the time they started, we started the tournament and they were part of the bumper shots and in and out of commercials, man. I would giggle and laugh every time those dudes showed up. So what happened was our producer just kind of randomly threw it out there. Hey, would you guys want to dance with the, with the team Moji? So Seth was all in like right away, both feet, both hands. <laughs> I put both feet in. Wally was the most reluctant, but you know, I said, it'll be fun. I can, I don't have a problem laughing at myself and trying to mimic what those guys are doing. So they ended up setting it up and those guys are virtual. The team Mojis are virtual. So we really couldn't, I couldn't hear the music when they played it and recorded us. Seth and Wally said they heard the music, which makes their moves even worse because <laughs> they heard the music and were totally offbeat. I never heard it and was offbeat. And so it was great fun, man. It was a really good time. and We got a lot of mileage out of it. And I giggle hard every time I see it. I've watched it probably half a dozen times. I laugh as hard on time five as I did on the first time, but it was fun. It was just a way to have some fun. It just kind of happened spontaneously. And um, anytime you can create a moment that you can remember and laugh about, that's a good thing. It, but you know what, Clark, it's funny you said that because I chuckled at it and I can't wait to tease Wally about it the next time I see him in person at MSG. Um, but you guys have had a bunch of those moments over the course of tournament coverage. I thought Seth's, um, cards that he had in like week one about who is qualified to actually win what we've seen yeah. and his terrible fan of white job but i thought that was a memorable that was. i mean then i love you you were all in on the timmy mustache too. oh yeah and greg gumbel oh, yeah. No oh yeah no i love to laugh and uh, be silly and we've had some really good opportunities to do that and we've got such a good rapport amongst us with greg and myself he and i have been together close to 20 years maybe 20 plus in the studio seat and Seth joined us. I think this is Seth's 14th or 15th year with us. And then Wally has been in and out. This is the first time he's been part of the final four with us that length of time. He's um, filled in for Kenny or Charles in the past. So great rapport. We love what we do. We love what we get to do and we like who we get to do it with. And hopefully that comes across. It definitely comes across. It definitely comes across. Let, let's get into a little bit of, of hoops talk. Yeah, I got a lot of questions, you know, where okay. where CBS. So I want to hear your, your your point of view on a few things. First, okay. this, this UCLA team, Clark, is it is it real or 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 is this just a fluke? No, it's not. It's, it's, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, go ahead, know. go ahead, Monica. Be perfect. I mean, I don't know. You mean is it you mean is it real as a national championship contender? Yeah, but like, yeah, it's real. They're in the final four. No, national okay. championship contender. Is it real or is it a fluke? Well. I think it's a fluke for anybody who has to play Gonzaga. Mm. So from that standpoint, it's not going to continue, in my opinion. I just think Gonzaga is too good in too many areas without any noticeable weaknesses. That said, UCLA has been terrific in managing the game and taking advantage of mismatches on the wings where the three J's are hard to guard. Mm -hmm. Jaime Jaquez, Jules Bernard, and Johnny Juzang and Tiger Campbell has been terrific and they've taken care of the ball. I think, I don't know how many turnovers they had in the game against Michigan, but I know going into that game in the three prior games, they had only had 
I think, 20 turnovers. So the fact that they have handled the ball and managed the game as well as they have, and they're tough-minded and tough defensively, I just think Gonzaga poses too many problems. Size on the perimeter, um, size in Timmy up front. Uh, all of that, I think, will eventually lead to Gonzaga getting to Monday night. But I've been very impressed with UCLA. They have um, maxed out what they do. They had seven versus Michigan, but Michigan had 14. I was just there you go. yesterday yep. because they have – actually, it was really eerie, Clark, because I was preparing for around the horn yesterday, and they've allowed – until the Abilene Christian game, or actually through their run, Abilene Christian shot, I believe, 29% from the field. Michigan shot 39%. But other than that, they let teams shoot like 40 plus, 42. Michigan State was at 47, but they turn you over. For yeah. the most part, other than Abilene Christian, they have been out rebounded too. Um, mm -hmm. So it really, I was kind of digging through stats and I was like, what is it with this group? But I think to me, it's that grit that Mick Cronin brings. And just like you yeah. said, those three J's in terms of their size, they just kind of play smart basketball in big moments. Yeah, anytime you, and I look at those numbers too, Monica. I hadn't gone back since um, we got done on Monday night, but I tend to look at turnovers, three-point shooting, rebounding, yeah. and the field goal percentage. And where UCLA has excelled is in the turnover game mm -hmm. and the efficiency of shot making, particularly late shot making yep. with those three J's. And sometimes that can overcome the rebound disadvantage, or if you allow a team to shoot a decent percentage from the floor, as long as you get the clutch baskets when you need them. And they've done that in a couple of overtimes against Michigan State and against Alabama. And the turnover number has been really a big, big part of what they do, in addition to what you just said, the grit. I mean, they're just hard-minded, tough-minded, resilient um, confident guys and I think you attribute a lot of that to the kids but certainly to to, to Mick Cronin and his staff okay is it fair because UCLA technically is a blue blood in brand they haven't yeah. necessarily had that level of success recently but are you comfortable calling them the Cinderella of this dance sure yeah they've they're a double digit seed they came in they had to start in the first four um, second team since we've had the first four to go for first four to four um, clearly, you look at the other seeds, you've got two, two ones and a two. So UCLA as a double-digit seed, even though the pedigree and championship history is at the very top of the game, this current UCLA team is clearly the Cinderella. So is it, is it also fair to say that this might be Gonzaga's toughest challenge? Because when you look at it, their toughest challenge so far was against Oklahoma. So yeah. do you think that this game will be the hardest for the Zags or, or what, what's your thoughts on that? No, a lot of people thought USC would be the hardest and, and I couldn't quite see it. Um, I thought they could possibly bother Timmy a little bit up front, but the rest of that unit man, is just, they share it, they shoot it, they don't turn it over much, they turn you over. And this is the best defensive team I think Mark Few has had. Yeah. I've seen them turn it up a couple of times to um, real heat defensively. And that is what separates them. And that's what makes it hard for anybody else they face. They're, they're just, they just have matchup advantages and they're as good defensively as the other teams, I think. And offensively, they're, um, they're a step and a half above everybody else. So we got to take it to the other side of the, of the bracket. Yeah, I figured you would get there at some point. Yeah, you you already know. We, we have to take it to my squad, 
<laughs> Baylor and Houston, two Texas. Yeah. Shout out Texas basketball. People really yeah. like we produce hoopers. We produce hoopers, potentially maybe the best hoopers. Relax, get to the question. Because <laughs> <laughs> you knew where I was going with that too, because you know it's true. Anyways, uh, Baylor versus Houston. What are you looking for, Clark? You know, I love the quartet of Baylor guards. I think they're as good as any we've seen in college basketball as a collective in the last 15 years or so. I mean, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, Maceo Teague, Adam Flagler. Uh, they do it at both ends. They can beat you off the drive, off the catch and shoot, off the dribble shoot, excellent defensively. Uh, the one thing that gives me just a bit of pause is the front line hasn't been as productive offensively as I think it will need to be in this game against Houston, particularly on the glass. But they're going to – I think they have to score the ball some against Houston. This Houston team has that grit that Monica just talked about in reference in UCLA. Houston has that in spades. They are, they're relentless, the very best offensive rebounding team remaining in the field. And they get extra shots because of that. And if you can't handle that side of the game, you're giving your, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Um, so that's what I'm looking at. The guards can play with Houston's guards, although Grimes has been really terrific. Sasser has been a little up and down, but Dejan Giroux has been as good as Tiger Campbell, I think, in controlling yeah. pace and making key plays and defending at a high level. So it's a tough challenge for the Bears, but if the front line can produce a little better than what they've shown, then I like those guards to be able to find a way to get them to the finish line. But it's going to be a, that and the rebounding story. I mean, you've got to somehow keep the offensive rebounding numbers down for Houston. 10, 15% below what they normally do. You're not going to keep them off the glass, but you can't let them get 15, 16, 17 offensive rebounds. Yeah, I agree 110% because I actually went to a Kelvin Sampson practice because, you know, I'm used uh -huh. to Drew. I went to Kelvin Sampson practice. Yo, when I tell you those dudes were really wrestling and, like, tackling each other, oh, yeah. Coach yeah. Sampson just sitting there like, yep, I like this. This is what I like. Yeah. I yeah. He see. coaches it. He coaches it. They measure it. They yeah. chart it. They reward it. It is a high priority item for that team as part of its culture. And every team has two or three things that they really try to do as a program. That is one and one A for Calvin Sampson is to get to that offensive glass. And you see it paying dividends by how those kids do it. I mean, there's not a team in the country that offensive rebounds like they do. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Wow. That, wow. He, wow. Wrestling and practice. That's hilarious. All right, though, Clark, I guess we were, you know, this time last year, obviously, we were all grappling with the news that there would be no tournament, among other things that drastically right. changed our lives. But what do you think has been the most surprising thing about this tournament? It doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing, but something that you will, will stand out from this tournament for you. Monica, just the fact that we're able to have it and be able to get through relatively unscathed. I mean, we know VCU had an issue with a positive test and wasn't able to play its game against Oregon. But, by, but other than that, there have not been any other hiccups as far as the games. Uh, and that is remarkable. We had the one episode with the officials, mm -hmm. a handful of officials. I think it ended up being six that ended up having to leave before the tournament started because of a COVID test, a positive COVID test and contact tracing. But that to me is probably the most remarkable thing is that the season has gone through 
with all the pivots and pauses that we had, still about 80, 80 plus percent of the games got played. And you look at the tournament, we're at three games left out of 67, one didn't get played. So that's well above 95%. So that to me probably stands out more than anything, just that we've been able to navigate it and get it and get it in with all of the protocols and differences and how we cover it and that type of stuff. So that, that stands out significantly to me. I mean, in a year where I agree with you, I mean, the crazy year that we've had and to finally be at the championship, I mean, yeah. it's, it's honestly incredible to see, you know, in a year yeah. with, with Corona, yeah. but then, you know, on the flip side, Kim Mulkey makes a statement that says, for people, uh, <laughs> that makes a statement that says we should basically just play the final four and not test the players. I want, I want to ask both of you guys, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on what she said? Well, I'm leaning more towards what the science says and being prudent in the midst of what we know about coronavirus and COVID-19 and half a million deaths. I know that's, uh, that's a significant number, even though it's not a huge percentage when you look at the world's population or even the country's population. But nonetheless, that's um, an astronomical number of deaths due to a virus. So I can't quite ride with coach Mulkey on that um, we're headed in the right direction but we're no by no means in the clear and I still think adhering to all of the CDC protocols is, is prudent and um, what we need to be doing to to get to the other side of this I will say that that is big Texas energy in terms of the <laughs> governor yeah. has made the decision of the, it just reflects all the decisions being made in Texas I'm glad that the decision is not up to her. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> there you go. Well said, Mike. But listen, but listen, but listen, but listen. L let's just play devil's advocate. Because I agree with both of you. That I don't, I don't, I don't We need to play devil's advocate. This is not that conversation. Because here's, here's my question for you, though. Let's say that Drew Timmy gets COVID, can't play in the championship game against Baylor. Fans are going to be absolutely super upset. And I think. It is what it is. Like, yeah, that's fine. We don't want to affect anybody else. But fans in America are going to be very, very upset. So, like, that was advocate. I mean, she was wrong. However, like, she shouldn't have said it. But what do, what do yeah. you think? It's an interesting thought. I mean, that's part of what the risk is. And if it unfolded that way, it would be terribly devastating for Gonzaga and for fans all across the country. But uh, I often think about, uh, Life isn't always fair. Exactly. And if something like that unfolded, it would be terribly disappointing and heartbreaking on some levels, but that's the landscape we're in. And uh, exactly. I'm confident and hopeful that that won't be the case. But if it did end up, it would just be one of those terribly sad, tragic outcomes on, on the level of basketball in this time of year. But um, yeah, that would be my posture. Clark, you're such a gracious guest because I'm not even dignifying that. 
anyway. Yeah, we'll- yeah. Well, I, I figured if he's going to ask the question, he invited me on as a guest. He's asked the question. I should at least try to answer. <laughs> you are very <laughs> gracious because I am not answering that. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right. Why are you always hating on me, Monica? I'm not hating on you, but there's too much Texas in your brain right now. Like, the answer is uh, not I'm like asking the question. Hey. No. Thank no. you, Clark. Thank you, Clark, for answering. Yeah, my- no problem. But I can feel where Monica's coming from, too. You know, two <laughs> things can be be right without having to land on either side of it. There you go. Um, all right, Clark. So I guess here's my last question on Gonzaga before I want to get your thoughts on some of the openings that we've seen. Is Drew Timmy a pro? I haven't quite figured that out. Mm. Interesting question. That's a great question. You know, and, and we all know that really good college players aren't necessarily pros and some average college players are great pros. We know that. That's the reality. The games are different. Uh, boy, I love his skill set, though. I don't know if he shoots it well enough, but he could possibly find a spot on the right roster. You know, most right. NBA players are role players. I mean, 85% of the guys in the league, and even on the WA NBA side, I mean, you've got 5% superstars, 10% all-stars, and then the other 85% are um, high-quality role players. And so I could see him possibly being a role player, a rotational guy in the right situation. Uh, I think it's 60-40 that he can play in the NBA. If I was giving it odds, I'd give okay. it 60-40 in favor. Okay. Wait, so so what position, though? That's, that's what I can't figure out. No, no, just, um, again, a frontline player. I mean, I don't right. know if he can guard on the perimeter, but in spot minutes, mm-hmm. perhaps he could give you something. I mean, um, Kelly Olenek is um, similarly skilled. Um, shoots it a little better from three, but he didn't necessarily, I don't know if he had that when he was in college or if he added that as his pro career developed. I think he had a little range in college, if I recall correctly, but the mobility, the craftiness, the toughness, I mean, those things um, are similar in Drew Timmy's package right now. And if he could stretch the shooting out, I could see him maybe having a similar kind of role, perhaps. I mean, that's just a rough guess. Yeah, how he might. And that's, I mean, if you've got skill and size, um, you don't necessarily have to have a custom made position when you get there. It's great if you do, but sometimes you can just find a way into that eighth to 12th spot and then figure out how it works from there. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. All right. We got, I can't wait for this weekend on, on both sides. We got really great final fours on both the men's um, and the women's. Uh, tournament. Actually, Clark, before I go to coaches, I do want to ask your opinion on the, the little bit of disparities that we saw in the beginning between the men's and women's tournament. It's always interesting to me, and King, as my co-host, as my brother, we've talked about this. Um, there's a duality that is expected and celebrated for women. Like, you know, I cover both sides. Um, yeah. and so I got asked the question a ton, but in order for the change to be made in sincerity, right, it can't be just women jumping up and down, like folks like yourself and Mark Emmert, of course, as the leader of the NCAA has to get on board. But just as you saw it unfold, what went through your mind? A major blunder and inexcusable when you think about it. There can't be that type of disparity and distinction in terms of being fair and equal to the women's side in all sports, in all opportunities. Now, I also know fair isn't necessarily always equal. Um, That relates to how we view our children and how we interact with folks. I mean, sometimes you've got to give some folks a upper hand, a little more to get them back to even. 
yeah. racial inequality and lack of access and educational disparity. I mean, those are things where fair isn't going to be equal. As a matter of fact, if you're going to do it fair and right, that means that some folks are going to get a little more yeah. than what they've earned or deserved because they need that to mm -hmm. get to even. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I see it. So clearly just a major. And again, it goes, it, it hunts back to a lot of different things. Who's at the table discussing this stuff? What viewpoints are this? are discussed, what viewpoints are welcomed. I mean, all of that stuff lends itself to these kind of mess ups and missteps mm -hmm. and, and not being, you got to have people there that can at least pull your coattail on what this is and what it looks like and feels like for the people that are dealing with it. So mm -hmm. in the case of that, I, that was my first reaction that how did this happen? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was my first, that was my first immediate reaction, Monica. How does this happen? I mean, yeah. and then how, how could yeah. that even be? any way near acceptable and tolerate yep so that's yeah. that's where that's where i am and it's unfortunate that it, it happened but it's good that it the lights on it and the heat's on it now and so therefore we 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 have confidence that there's going to be it's going to be addressed in the way that it needs to and should have always been dealt with from the start Definitely. I had a similar sentiment without even seeing what the men had. I was like, what elite athletes are training here? Like, how do yeah, we? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just baffling. I mean, yeah. it's just totally just uh, inexcusable, inexplicable, shouldn't happen. And that's where I was when I saw it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Joking. I don't want to take over. I know you book Clark, but I do want to get into the coaching, the coaching opening. You got you got it because I know you just saw what happened. Did you, did y'all see that uh, notification? What just happened? Yes, North Carolina. Yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 no. The okay, new what? Texas just uh, signed Chris Beard. They just hired Chris Beard. Oh, yeah. Well, musical chairs continue. The carousel continues. It's yeah. about to get interesting now. Okay. <laughs> So Texas filled their opening, Clark. North Carolina has a new opening as of 11.30 on Thursday morning. Um, what else is some? Uh, Shaka went to Marquette. I'm yep. missing some other bigger openings. Uh, Lon Kruger. Mike Woodson to Indiana. Yeah, Mike Woodson to Indiana. Lon Kruger uh, retires um, yep. from Oklahoma. Just, I, I guess the big thing now is like the transfer portal, right? And like, it's one thing to be able to recruit, but can you get guys to stay? As you kind of look at the landscape of some of these openings, Clark, are there names that come to mind immediately for some of these places? Or just kind of what's your takeaway? It feels like Lon Kruger and uh, Roy Williams, it just kind of feels like time, although it was a bit surprising, especially North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. It does feel like the time. And in some ways, I kind of like that it wasn't anything long and drawn out. It was simply these men determining that now was the time mm -hmm. for them to step away. I kind of like that spontaneity of it. I don't know how the administration feels. Maybe they knew or what have you. But nonetheless, that's sometimes the best way to decide when it's time. When you get to that point and no lollygagging about it, just this is it. I'm done. It's time to move on. And the coaching carousel is what it is. I don't track it really that heavily, Monica. I tend to invest my time in the game Got and it. I keep an eye on it. And I'm actually trying to identify and keep a list of some of the up and coming young black coaches that would be worthy of consideration because there is a changing of the guard unfolding. Yeah. There is a new changing. Sure. This is the next generation of waves. You know, John Thompson and John Chaney and Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski and Jim Bayheim and Nolan Richardson, those guys had their time. Now there's another, they weren't always who they became, 
They yeah. started somewhere, and it's time now for this next iteration of those young. Shaka Smart is at the forefront of it, in my opinion, particularly when you talk about black coaches. Yeah. He's at the forefront of that. Mike Boynton will yep. be part of that, Oklahoma State. I mean, there are a number of guys. So thinking about that, so I haven't given thought to names that might fit, but I do think about John Thompson III, who was oh, at Georgetown wow. as a guy that would potentially be, um, should be on somebody's radar screen. I think um, a guy like Keith Smart, who's coached at the NBA level in terms of maybe getting back into the college game, because you know it's a copycat world. Yeah. So whenever you start to see a former NBA player have success in college, then athletic administrators, athletic directors will start thinking about, is that the way we should go? Is there somebody that fits that? So, I, I mean, again, it's change is inevitable and the yeah. landscape is shifting. This whole transfer thing is a huge component, though, Monica and King, as far as what things look like as you build a program, as you sustain a program, because those players are now empowered to try to find the best fit on the rebound if the first one didn't work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's a real interesting and, and challenging dynamic. I like the empowerment of the players there to actually be in a position where they don't have to sacrifice a season if fit for whatever reason isn't what they thought it would be at one place. But I do know it changes and makes it a little more difficult for coaches and, and programs to sustain um, continuity and consistency. So that'll be a huge piece of the puzzle for uh, coaches and their staffs. Yeah. How do you target the, the transfer piece? I'm really glad you mentioned the copycat piece, Clark, because I was going to ask you how much has Juwan Howard sort of changed the game? And shout out to Patrick Ewing, you know what I'm saying? We, we sure, did, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I, I do wonder, like, Juwan was, if they had gotten to the Final Four, I believe my research notes I had the other day, he would have been one of three coaches to get to the final four in his first season as a number one seed. So like what he's doing, Juwan is a unicorn. Like it ain't that just no copycat, go get you a Juwan. It's not that simple. No, exactly. But you make very valid points, but you know how people tend to look at it. Yeah. It's, yeah, we tend to always react to the exceptions mm -hmm. and to the extremes, right? We don't really look at the fact that success is not, instant mm -mm. fame might be or notoriety might come quickly but success takes a long time usually mm -hmm. and there's work involved and there's a number of dynamics but you're right I think it just raises the antenna for folks I mean you've got Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt I yep. think he's going to eventually get it going you got Penny at Memphis mm -hmm. you got a number of former NBA guys that are in the college game as coaches and relatively young with some runway in front of them to prove that this can happen. And they have different backgrounds and experiences as coaches, but I think Juwan certainly raises everybody's attention to the fact that it's, um, it's I mean, he got a PhD plus though, being where he was in his NBA career down there in Miami. Now. It's true. Yeah. It's true. So, and I always yeah. shout out Phil Martelli on his bench. He was like one of the yeah. first like big yeah. time coaches that I interviewed and he was so nice to me and he was, he's just yeah, he's, yeah, he's a great basketball guy and a really good guy too. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, 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 all of that makes a difference, but yeah, it's, um, it's interesting as we kind of transition to this next phase of um, outstanding coaches and some of the icons moving aside and who are those young up and comers? Who are those middle-aged guys that are, I mean, you got your Chris Beards and the guys of that ilk uh, that are Porter Moser that are clearly, mm -hmm. uh, 
outstanding and will be in the in in the forefront for for several years. So yeah, it's um we're in transition in in a lot of ways. So you actually mentioned Porter Moja, and I know the Indiana job is off the table. And beyond the answer, Clark being that he should follow his heart. If you were Porter Moser, as hot as he is and in demand as he is, would you look for a Power Five job? I think the benefit to the Power Five is the multiple tournament bids. Okay. When you're in a conference that typically only has maybe one at most two bids, that creates a lot of pressure to have to win your conference tournament. And so I think that part of it would have to be appealing to be in a conference where you know you can play for a conference championship, hopefully, but also have a better shot at getting to the tournament. Uh, that said, fit is really important. Fit is really important, Monica, as a player, as a coach, as a broadcaster. I mean, you need talent and skill and competence, but fit is oftentimes worth more than what you think might be greener grass. And so I think you just have to be careful. Not every very successful coach at the non-power conference level can duplicate that at the power conference level because there are other dynamics that come into play. What kind of kid are you going to recruit? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you go from really hungry, more appreciative kids to entitled Mm -hmm. kids that may bring more talent, but also more baggage. So there are parts on that thing. So um, fit is important. I can understand if he would, as in this time, be considering uh, what a, what a step up might look like for him, though. Yeah, I mean, while we're, while we're on this topic of coaches, I got to give, give a shout out to three coaches that I played for that are in, in talks right now. Coach Mack at UNT, mm-hmm. uh, or Roberts, Coach Mills, and Jerome Tang, I'm hearing yeah. now. Yeah. Is in some of those conversations as an African American man. He he's yeah. in some of those conversations. Is yeah, moving on. He's at Baylor. He's assistant coach at Baylor. Yeah. He's in some of these conversations. Um, so it should be interesting these next three weeks, especially with Coach Drew's uh, coaching tree starting to. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No doubt. Yeah, it'd be fun to kind of see. And you know, sometimes guys that are in a really successful situation as assistants can be selective as to what they might be willing to accept for the title of head coach. Mm -hmm. You know, I know it's hard. I know most assistants aspire to be head coaches, but it happens here at Ohio State. There's some outstanding assistants that have left, um, but there's some outstanding assistants that have stayed when they've been given offers too, because it's not the right fit at the right time based on what's available where they are. So um, a lot of things to consider when you're um, an aspiring assistant coach. For sure. Okay, Clark, we got to get some predictions from you. But before okay. we spin it back to the men's side, <clears throat> I do want to see, obviously, the games run concurrently. And I have found yeah. myself watching a women's game, wake up in the morning, watch the men's game, one synergy. So I totally get it. Um, but just of what you've been able to observe, we're down to our final four. Paige Beckers becomes the first freshman to win the Women's AP Player of the Year Award, which is tremendous. Arizona, led by Ari McDonald. Mm, why am I blanking on the other side of my bracket? Oh, South Carolina, led by Don yeah. Staley. Aaliyah Boston is terrific over there. And then Stanford, Tara Vanderveer, Haley Jones. They Former also- Ohio State coach. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that, actually. Yes, Tara was at Ohio State. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I did not know that. Oh, also, yeah. sorry about your, your Buckeyes being the first upset, the first big upset. Yeah, well, it happens that way. It's a tournament, Monica. You know that. 
It's true. It's true. All right. So we got Stanford, South Carolina, UConn, um, and Arizona, kind of the upstart and new name on the women's side. Just observations, who you like for the title? Man, I haven't seen Arizona. I've okay. seen Stanford a little bit, and obviously UConn and Paige has been phenomenal. I watched a good portion of the um, Baylor UConn game, and Baylor was up double digits, and then Paige just kind of went on a solo spurtability run all by herself, it seemed like, and um, took it over, and then foul trouble, and still, I mean, it was a great, great game really to watch. Um, so I, I've, I've seen Stanford a little bit. Um, Boy, when you got a dynamic player like um, Paige Beckers, I mean, and she's got really good players around her, mm-hmm. and there's something about that UConn aura. Dawn Staley's been phenomenal. Yes. Absolutely off the charts, platinum level in every way. Now, I can go back to her playing career, but as a coach, I mean, she's been doing that for a long time. and I mean, just love the way she um, handles her role and responsibility and how she gets her teams to play. Um, so I'm not going to pick because I just haven't seen enough to have a really conviction, a real okay. conviction on who's going to win it. But I'm actually looking forward to watching as much as I can the, the women's final four. But I love, I love um, South Carolina's ability to turn your water off. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they can they can strap it up big time. So yeah, it should be good. In Arizona, I don't know much about. I know they typically aren't part of this conversation mm-hmm. in the last several years. So it's kind of cool that um, the Pac-12 is being represented on both sides. Yeah, in kind of a Cinderella fashion uh, yeah. with Arizona and then UCLA on the men's side. Definitely, Monica. Uh, what's, the, what, what's the name of the girl for Arizona? The one who's killing right now? Ari McDonald. Ari McDonald. Yep. He's a problem. She yes, is. She, okay. She, she, might be, she might be, would you say she might be the second best player in the final four right now? No. Mm-hmm. How would you rate them? Then give me, give me your scouting yeah, report. Give, give, me your, give me your scouting report. Top three players in the final four. All right. Top three players in the final four. I'm going, I think you got to go page AP player of the year. Um, then it's Aaliyah Boston for me, but I, that's kind of tough, right? Cause the ball's not in her hand, but she's, she's a real catalyst, real problem. Um, and then, I, I think I'm going Kiana. It's, I'm toss, toss, Stanford is a toss up between Kiana Williams and Haley Jones. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, then I'm putting, I'm probably, I mean, Ari was player of the year and defensive player of the year, but I, you know what, to Clark's point, they have a little bit of a lower profile in this conversation. Um, but I don't know that I'm putting Ari top three. And she, if she hears this, she's certainly going to mention it. <laughs> she's heard every negative thing and used it as fuel. Um, top five. Yes. Top five. But I think I got to give uh, Haley or Kiana a slight edge. And I probably would lean toward Haley. Just because mm-hmm. Ari's small. Like, I think yeah. she, she, mm-hmm. she doesn't have the same size. But then yeah. I might go Ari. Yeah. Um, all right, men's side. Clark, for whatever reason, I have not been able to give it to Gonzaga yet. I'm very much... What? What's your, hesitant, what's your hesitancy? I just... And maybe this is the historical, like, lover of yeah. whatever basketball in me that I'm just not ready to say the same thing is being done from this famous Indiana Hoosiers team. Um, okay. And I just think, and I do think that Baylor, the the way Baylor's able to play defense. There we go. Be, now, granted, Baylor also is going to have to deal with Gonzaga on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. But I think Baylor, particularly Davion Mitchell, like there's a, there's a switch there that I don't yeah. know if Gonzaga has dealt with that defensive intensity consistently. And I just, 
the, the fact that they've beaten however many teams it is by double digits is a super cool stat, but I don't know if I buy that as a good thing. Yeah. No, I hear you. No, no, those are all valid points. Yeah, although I do think Jalen Suggs brings some of the same elements that Davion does yeah. for Gonzaga, and he's a little bigger. Um, yeah. Andrew Nemhard may not have that ultra quickness, but he's got a toughness and enough quickness and agility with size. I think Joel Ayayi is a hard uh, I like him. matchup. I think he can be put on any of those particular guards and do a serviceable job. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just think the size and the athleticism of the Zags perimeter will negate Baylor's greatest strength somewhat. Okay. I mean, Baylor's got to get past Houston first, so. Yeah, that. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it would be great to see that matchup that was supposed to happen back in December between Gonzaga and Baylor. Uh, on CBS, as a matter of fact, it was supposed to happen. It was canceled because of COVID. So it would be kind of cool if that unfolded. But Houston and UCLA both have something to say. Houston, I think, will make a louder case than, than UCLA. Although um, I know they'll fight hard. I just don't know if the hard fight will be enough against a hard-fighting Gonzaga team. Listen, I know sports gambling and all that is becoming a thing. If you have any hope in UCLA, you should probably lay the numbers because if they manage to make this thing a rock fight, a 70-point game, like, what? That would be insane. It would be. It would be crazy. I just, I mean, again, I think Gonzaga could win a game in, in at 70 or less. I just don't think it'll be necessary because of how good they are offensively. Yeah. But you're right. That's the one way that UCLA could perhaps they make it a possession-by-possession half-court game are able to defend effectively, somehow turn Gonzaga over, which is doable. They can sometimes get a little careless, um, but they've got balance with inside presence and perimeter play that will challenge um, the the, uh, the Bruins defensively. Definitely. Man, we all already know where I'm rocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, understandably so. Yeah, I know. So, let, so let, let's hope that Houston doesn't make it too interesting. <laughs> Because I need my Bears to be in there so I can be there rooting them on, cheering for them. We can get our first one. Actually, we'll be the second school in Texas since 1950, since Glory Road, to do wow. that. Wow. So, wow. Wow. That would be that would be a great story, man. It's time to make story. history. Yeah. Yep, Monica. Anything you got to say? Uh, no. I, you, I got you. I got you, Gonzaga, <laughs> in the final, and I got Baylor taking it away. And maybe. Wow. Okay. Uh, I can uh, go, Monica, what? Monica and I agree on something? We had this conversation. Stop acting new in front of company. You know I had Baylor being Gonzaga in the final. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I've got Baylor. With these four, I'm going Baylor and um, Zags for that matchup we didn't get in December. And then um, the Zags being our um, first undefeated national champion since 1976. Okay. Um, our extraordinary producer, Bruce, is in the chat. And he says, before we let you go, we must ask you about playing horse against our favorite <laughs> president, still president in our hearts, I don't care, President Barack Obama. <laughs> One of the great highlights that I got to experience um, through basketball. I mean, that was back in 2010 when we actually had the POTUS game on the White House court, and he took me down in a close one. But um, still a great memory. Um, it typically bubbles up quite a bit this time of year because it was actually around this time when we did it. Um, so yeah, I, um, I, I don't like that I lost, but if I had to lose and to lose to the first black president who loves hoops and knows his stuff and is a um, cool, smart, 
high quality dude, I can, I can live with that. I can live. Even if, even if some of my uh, basketball fraternity brothers can't, I can live with that. <laughs> I can live with that. Yeah, I can live with it. I think I can live with it too. Yeah. yeah it ended up being, it ended up being okay TV. And he <clears throat> actually, I tried to get a rematch when I had a chance to interview him a couple of times after that. And uh, he stiff armed me. He gave me the Heisman. He gave me the Heisman. <laughs> He left the game undefeated, Clark. Yeah, no that's oh yeah. I understood what is more. I just figured I'd give it a shot so I could redeem. But he said, "Nope, once was enough." So no, it was good though. It was a one. It was a great highlight for me, personally, awesome. and for my family. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, for sure. All right, King, are you gonna do our SIG sign off? Our buckets, boards, and blocks. Yeah, you know what? I'll take it since since, since I got Clark here. I guess I'll take it. So, you know, the way we normally exit is bucket board or block let's break it down so bucket is something let's say ncaa tournament or do you want to go this past year what do you want to do monica um i i love we talked a lot of ncaa tournament let's go i love the way clark's mind works let's just go past year let's go 2020 right. 2021 yeah. season year the whole bit okay all of that that, I, I, that is the main topic okay but give me a bucket a bucket is something that you want more of something that's like yes give me more of this a block, something that you just want to take away, something that does not belong here, or a board, something that at first glance doesn't really have, you know, the 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 glory or the 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 what word I'm looking for. Yeah, that. But at the end of the day, it has a good good quality, good benefit at the end of the day. Silver lining. Silver lining. That's the word. Yeah, you know yeah. what this. So there we go. Silver lining. So you can choose one of those three categories, Clark. Which one would you want to give me? A bucket, a block, <clears throat> or a board, you said? Yes, sir. I think I'm going to do bucket because that's the one where you get to ask for more, would desire more. Bingo. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So it's your bucket, Clark, from this past season. We won't just limit it to the NCAA tournament. But if, okay. it, if, it, if it comes up to the NCAA tournament, that's totally on you. But you want more of this thing. You applaud it. Give us all the buckets. I would say the um, I would say student athlete activism mm. would be something that's inspired me and encouraged me, and I would love to see that continue in um, ways large and small. Yeah, I like yeah. that. You know, we yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I would love to. I, would, I mean, it's uh, yeah. That that would be um, based on this this season. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be something I'd want to see more of. Thank you, Clark. This was great, by the way. I know. No, I enjoyed it. No, it was great to hang out with you guys. No, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Don't let don't don't make me a stranger. That was dope. We mentioned earlier in the show that this was episode 100. We have hit triple digits of buckets, boards, and blocks. And we've had some amazing conversations over the past two years from some unbelievable guests like. Hall of Famer Nancy Lieberman, who helps us celebrate our milestone. Hey, Monica and King. I cannot believe 100 episodes, really? Buckets, boards, and blocks. Okay, I've seen a lot of people cover basketball, but you guys do it so well. You have given the women's game so much love. And I got to believe there's going to be um, a thousand episodes in your future. Okay, like 
from a thousand episodes. I know you're excited. I know you work your tails off to, to give everybody the right information. Um, I was so pleased to be uh, one of the people on your show. So I'm wishing you all the best. Be great. Have intentional greatness in all that you do. And more importantly, enjoy how you're shaping how people get their sports. Thank you for your kind words, Nancy. We definitely try to do our thing here. Um, that episode with her was one of my favorites. And this episode with Clark Kellogg certainly moves up the ranks of favorites. So thank you to Clark again for spending such tremendous time and thoughtful time with us today. Having said that, it's time to wrap. So thanks to our producer extraordinaire, Bruce Bernstein. We literally would not have gotten to this point without him. Um, thank you to our excellent editor, Kristen Woolley. Please, please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows, Mike Wise each Monday, Full Court on Tuesday, Catch and Shoot 2.0 on Wednesday, Buckets, Boards and Blocks on Thursday, and the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. This is the year we put an end to the pandemic, but we're not there yet. So protect yourself and others by wearing a mask, washing your hands, keeping your distance and being considerate. Also get the vaccine. It's out there. It's available. Smart move. We also need to thank the nurses, the doctors, anybody on the front lines, if you know one. Hey, so until next week, when Baylor, <laughs> Sick and Bears hopefully wins the championship and raises the trophy. Monica, here's the alley oop. Enjoy your hoops. Boom. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.